Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites two best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. My name is Aaron and each and every week I have the pleasure of talking movies and films with my best buddy James. Hello. And this week is no exception as we re-record episode 194. Audio Gremlins have destroyed the original copy of this episode which was pointed out to us this, uh, this afternoon online. So apologies if anyone did get this episode early hours this morning. Um, this morning being Monday, the 2nd of May. <laughs> Yep. Because people listen to podcasts at all times. Yeah, they do. Um, but we're actually re-recording it. We've missed a beat here, though. What should have happened is you shouldn't have said anything. I should have had headphones in. I should have reacted <laughs> as I should and hope that I say the right thing that leads to... It could be a little game. Mm. What did I say? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so hopefully we're going to recreate that magic. Now we're, we're not in unknown territory. This has happened before. We've done not for a while though. Not for a while. We have done 194 episodes of this podcast, plus a couple of specials uh, along the way. And occasionally this does happen. We have to go back, re-record because when we set out on this quest, we said we're going to do an episode each and every week without fail. It doesn't matter if a pandemic happens. Oh, that came back to bite us. Yep. Um, but nothing would stop us from putting out an episode each and every week. And this is no exception. So we are going to go back and the audio quality is important because it's a podcast. Podcast. It's really important to be able to hear half of the words. Yeah, because if not, it's just me talking, then intermittently laughing at nothing. We don't know because we test the mics and they've worked. We do a te- we do a sound check every time. So the only thing we could think of is we did the sound test and then I just turned my microphone off. Weirder things have happened. Yep. But as I said, not unknown territory. We have done this before and gone back. So um, this week, 1997, on our quest to find the greatest movies of all time, We've taken a little detour and we started looking at individual years and a little bit of a special attention to the 90s. Ooh, and you know, if you think about the infancy of this podcast, we were very much 80s driven. We've kind of finished them, not not completely, but Mm. we've evolved, grown. Time has moved forward. Now we're in the glorious 90s, the home of the action star, Mm. the home of the ridiculous storyline, home of... Fun. The home of formulaic storylines yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but so far, we're looking at 1990, 1999, uh, 1994, some of the previous episodes have all been great years. And actually, we've kind of concluded the episode with our favourites from those years and actually saying, God, what a great era the 90s was, you know, overshadowed, I think, by the 90s, uh, by the 80s. But everything so far has been brilliant and it's been really good to revisit. So this year, no, uh, sorry, this episode, no exception. Again, 1997. We'll start as all years do in January. Ooh. We'll make our way to December. And then at the end, we'll crown what was our favourite film again. <laughs> I might nine. change it this time. <laughs> Jeez. Um, so today we continue the trip down memory lane for a decade. They brought us Nickelodeon TV, Furby, Supersize, McDonald's, Tamagotchis and Harry Potter books. A time when people could do the Macarena on the way to buy a Beanie Baby. What have we learned so far? Well, pop culture will always find itself a home in the 80s, but the 90s gave us uh, the nineties gave us so much, as discussed in our 1990 and 1999 episodes. These were great years of film, with many of today's stars cutting their teeth in the 90s. Uh, there were pioneers in special effects and uh, stunt work and sound, which would pave the way for film goers and movie makers for years to come. The 90s was a decade of exploration. Oh, that's a nice way of putting it, yeah. The 80s was great, and I love the 80s, and I'm an 80s kid at heart in terms of film. You know, some of those movies are just timeless classics, but the 90s, you know, films like Alien 3, for example, jumped to mind. They were the first to kind of dip their toes into the world of visual effects particularly, and certainly stunt work really, really ramped up in the 90s. So, so the birth of something that would forever be evolving and changing and that we see in cinema now and take for granted. I mean, you can't have what's coming up now, you know, Doctor Strange, 
you know, and you see that kind of fantastical element of everything changing. Well, you needed a foundation. You needed a really weird looking alien in Alien 3. <laughs> if you needed it, I'm afraid. You did, you did. And uh, how does the 97 whale? Well, it was a time for dinosaur sequels. We had a um, James Bond taking on the media like a supercharged Hugh Grant. America's president was booting ter- terrorists off uh, planes and uh, Hollywood released four movies, which we're going to talk about in this episode, about the most powerful leader in the Western world. Nick Cage gave us two, but technically three great performances this year. There was a, there were also Sheffield strippers, bat nipples, and Will Smith was slapping aliens off the face of the earth. But one film overall would go on to sweep the box office. When James Cameron signed on Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio, it was clear as an iceberg that Titanic would not sink at the box office. Now that joke wasn't as funny the first time, neither. <laughs> I, I, I hope you appreciate I didn't have a 20 minute rant about Tamagotchi this time as well. <laughs> Slimline version. Yeah. Slimline version, just Tamagotchi go fuck it. <laughs> so look at, let's look at the top 10 movies of 97 before we go month by month. Of course, at number one is Titanic. What a... A gargantuan Titanic of a film. Just one end. I remember watching the cinema when my friend Chris, front row seat, middle-aged women everywhere, crying her eyes out. And it's one of these weird stories that, you know what? I wasn't interested in love story. I watched this three-hour film for the last hour. You just want to see the boat break up. But you come back, you appreciate it. Gave birth to some things that would never die, i.e. Celine Dion's song that was just everywhere. It's mm. like a disease. Oscar-winning song. She, she hates I found that out on this episode. <laughs> she recorded Act Surprise. She, she, she recorded it twice. And what? the second one is the one that made it. That's yeah. amazing. She said this will never work. And now she has to play it every gig, I imagine. Can you imagine You're a musician. The, the one song that you hate the most is the only song people give a toss about. <laughs> Do you know what? And, and I've always thought about this with musicians. Like, I think about bands like Goo Goo Dolls writing songs like Iris or... Mm. Guns and Roses, Sweet Child of Mine. You know, just, you just, can't you can't really go. Oh, I hate playing that song because first and foremost, it pays the rent. It does pay the rent, and, and people the have, cocaine, yeah, and so. people have now that comes free. James. <laughs> and but the um, the amount of people that have taken like their they've gone for jobs in snow and rain and all those things to buy tickets to your show, and you have to do something for three and a half minutes. Shut up. That's a good you point, know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just get on with yes, it. Yes, Steve Dion, shut up. Yeah, don't get me started on Beyonce, James. <laughs> I swear to God. Um, yeah, Titanic coming in at number one. A weird movie, one that I can't really go back to because I, I watched it when it came out of the cinema. I, well, I would have been too young at the cinema, but I certainly watched it uh, when it came out on DVD or video and, you know, at the time. Sure, and- it, it's, it's a film that is, I think is easy to like slag off now, you know, me saying, oh, I just want to see the ship break up. What do you think about it? There is like a good fundamental layer. And hero of the story is guy who loses tickets in the first like scene. It's oh. like he's like you're a hero, mate. It should it should it should have cast back, you know, to the uh, to the guy who lost tickets just reading the newspaper. He goes, "Well, thank fuck for yeah. that." No, him being really old on the on the boat next to the old lady <laughs> and just go dodging a bullet with that one, didn't I? I'd watch it. I tell you what, as well, the real villain is not the iceberg; it's that lady. Yeah, it she is. tells that fucking story and then drops, what, the, drops what, the, what I love about it is that is the ultimate Bill Paxton tease. She's, it's like Bill Paxton tells her the story mm. and this is what happened. And he's like, oh, I was lost for ages. And Bill Paxton, I'm not being funny, he does a really good job. He listens to her. Yeah. He lets this old woman have a rant and he's getting pretty calm about it. Yeah. In the end, gets involved in the story. Now she's going to die, which she does at the end. Why don't, you know, give it to him? <laughs> or no, no, fuck no. you in the ocean. I'll see you later. Yeah, she's been using Bill Paxton just to get back to the ocean. Yeah, exactly. To dump this diamond. <laughs> I'd love it if it just cut back at the end of that movie to her talking to Bill Paxton and he just went, not room on the door for two then? 
<laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, not take it in turns. You know, you go in the water and come out. Oh, do you know what an amazing ending? She kicks it in the ocean and he sees. <laughs> and he just fucking throws her over. It's like, three hours. <laughs> Listen to your story. There is a better version of this film. There is a Titanic 2. Maybe it happens. I don't know. No one's seen that film. No. But, no not even and there is a, obviously the Captain Zeta Jones uh, yeah. straight to DVD Titanic as well. So, um, yeah, it's not a movie that I rush back to now because it is a bit morbid, isn't it? It's like, it's like oh, I really love Titanic. Let's, re- let's watch all that suffering. Let's, let's watch people die. Yeah. But then uh, I suppose you can say that about any war movie. Yeah, but then this one's got like my Billy Zane overhammed. I like my Billy Zane with a side of ham. Do you like your Billy Zane hairless or do you like him keeping a little bit around the sides? No, I, I, this is my Billy Zane. No, actually, what is he in the Panther? That's what I like. That's how oh, I like. Oh, he's got a bit of hair in there. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> the Panther. No. Okay, no one thought I was going to bring that, did they? <laughs> <laughs> um, then in number two of the top 10 is The Lost World Jurassic Park, which isn't uh, a great sequel. It's not. It's a bad film. I don't, do you know what? I think they might have had something there. The, the three disadvantages for me is just the end bit. You, you get a Tyrannosaurus Rex in in America. You, I was expecting something decent. It's, it's so bad a film that they're kind of redoing it for the next one, mm. you know, 20 years later. It's not for me. I, I, just, think. I just see that movie as producer in the boardroom, you know, cigar on the go. He goes, hear it out. Dinosaur in the big city. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, Godzilla's on its way. We're like, we've got that movie. It's on its way. You know, Raffi Broderick signed up. Oh my God. And, yeah. <laughs> Please remake this film. And, uh, and yeah, it, it, it seems to just take us to a really unnecessary ending. Um, and then there's the, there is a really cool scene that we always forget about. It's the tension scene where they fall under the Tyrannosaurus Rexes have pushed them over the edge and into Julianne Moore. She can't move on the glass and she's going, that's pretty good. Tension yeah. is really good. Really great that. Don't understand Vince Vaughn. He's some sort of eco-warrior who takes the bullets out of a gun when uh, Pete... Oh, what cover? Pete Possilworth. Pete Possilworth. Pete Possilworth could save everyone by shooting it. <laughs> it's like, but he's the hero. And also, what I really love is in the third... Mate, even as a kid, I saw that joke coming about, oh, you didn't get picked for the gymnastics team. Knew that was coming mm. up. Even as a youngster, I knew that was coming up. But ultimately for me, it's where does every other character go for the last 40 minutes? It's just like, right, if I can wait, get off. Right, because all of this time, um, your main man, Matthew, uh, no, sorry, Malcolm, the, the chaos engineer, why is he sent to the island? It's like, could you do chaos on this island? Oh, your kid's there. Don't worry about it too much. And then world's greatest father doesn't give a toss for his daughters. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we couldn't afford Sam Neill, so you've got to go. <laughs> uh, in a number three, we're going to talk about these movies in more depth, actually, when we go through the month. So I'll just go through the remaining top 10. Men in Black. Yeah. Tomorrow Never Dies, a Bond movie, which I still say the title is better than the movie. The movie had a great concept. It just mm. wasn't executed very well. Yeah. Air Force One. I like it. As good as it gets. I love it. Lie Lie, which we talked about recently yeah. with the uh, Jim Carrey episode, My Best Friend's Wedding, The Fifth Element, and The Full Monty. So I love how Full Monty just coming up the rear there about Sheffield strippers. Your mind went somewhere there, James. No, it didn't. I, did. I love Sheffield. From this year, Titanic would sweep the 70th Academy Awards, which obviously followed in 98. Goodwill Hunting and LA Confidential would pick up the scraps. For acting, Jack Nixon and Helen Hunt did take away uh, best performances for as good as it gets. And the late, great Robin Williams for Goodwill Hunting and Kim Basinger for LA uh, Confidential would take best supporting. But then pretty much everything else was Titanic. Yeah, all the ones that don't matter, Titanic. Yeah, what was it, nine or whatever it is, uh, for Oscars for that. It's worth mentioning, and then, uh, God, I'm going to do this again. 
There is the movie Life is Beautiful that came out in 97, which is the Italian World War II Holocaust movie, uh, which won Best Foreign Film that year, and also Roberto Benigni won his Oscar. But because of international release dates, it didn't come out in the uh, American until 98, and then therefore it was not <clears throat> uh, an Academy Award winner until 1999. A really interesting year if you follow the Academy Awards because it was all about a neck-and-neck race between the Finn Red Line and Saving Private Ryan. And then last minute, uh, all all uh, attention went to, oddly, Shakespeare in Love. Yeah, it's almost as if some sort of producer did some sort of witchcraft and <laughs> underhand tactics, but I have no, no idea what happened to him. Move on. But it was also, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope he got his comeuppance. <laughs> it, uh, it was also the year that the Truman Show was snubbed, so, you know, fuck you, Oscars. Now, really, when you look at it like that, the Oscars is bullshit. I know we say this like every episode, we find an excuse to slag off the, but the Truman Show, Shakespeare in Love, Fucking move on. <laughs> Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan. Shakespeare in Love. Shakespeare in Love. Mm. Shakespeare in Love and the fucking full money. I know they're several years, but still. <laughs> still. Uh, 97 disclaimer. We will probably miss some movies from this great year in film, which we apologise, but that's what social media is for. That's the place for you to complain. That's the place for you to tell us that we got things wrong, but also to point us in the direction of movies that we might have missed on this eclectic list. We will start in January. I'm going to try and keep it to three or four movies per month. Mm-hmm. However, though, there are some just brilliant months just that we cannot ignore. Brim to the full, mate. Oh, so we're going to start. We're all good at uh, year's start, and that is January. Yeah, good With year. a movie that I knew people were flocking the cinemas to go see, and that was Zeus and Roxanne, a movie starring Steve Guttenberg, who uh, rose to fame with Police Academy. And it is about a uh, dog and a dolphin that team up. Yep. I have seen this film. Yeah, now if, if you if, I guess I would have said Steve Guttenberg does the voice of the dog, but he, no, he plays no, he's the, a human. He plays yeah. the dad. Yeah. He plays and what I love about it, mate, is he's a, he don't play Steve Guttenberg. He plays Steve Guttenberg as a bit of a dick. Mm, a mm. musician. Ooh, he has a beer, as I recall. Wears a Hawaiian shirt. Just like Paul Hogan in the Elijah Wood version of Lassie Dolphin, <laughs> which is the second time we've recorded Not Crocodile about. Dundee. Flipper. 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 Fucking hell. <laughs> Twice. Yeah. We've recorded this episode twice. I've forgotten how film's called twice. It's uh, it's weird. One thing that always fascinates me about about films that center around animals, like, you know, whether it be Free Willy or whatever it is, is how low in the casting <laughs> the, the, the animal comes. You know yeah. what I mean? And if I was that whale or that, in this case, dog or dolphin, I'd be like, fuck, you put my name, you put my name at the top, son. <laughs> it's just Steve Gooding. I always, this is a few years ago, but Andre, which was exactly the same premise, except for it was a seal. There you go. 90s, mate, full of this. Yeah, this is one of those tropes that, that the 90s is really rich for. And, I, and I, I'm pretty certain it it probably uh, started at the back end of the 80s with, uh, was it Tuna and Hooch? Tuna and Hooch, that type of thing. Where all of a sudden it became big bucks to put an animal in a movie. Um, yeah, uh, instantly forgettable. Not a great start. Vin Diesel has hair in the movie Strays, but we're not stopping there because nope. I want to talk about a fish called Wonder Sequel. Fierce Creatures. Love it. I think it's brilliant. I think it's very underrated. We, you talk about the original cast, Kevin Kline's again. Something about him sticking me like a British-related comedy. He works. He overhams it. It's brilliant. He's taking the piss out of Rupert Murdoch, which will be the second time this year they ever swing at that fucking Australian sky-owning prick. <laughs> Please don't say. I love you. Um, so he's got a lot a lot of films going on, but it, to me it's John Cleese. An, an, an ageing John Cleese doesn't have the sex appeal, but man, he's got the magnetism. Ooh. The scene where... He's trying to hide animals that he believes everyone else in the in the zoo has shot, but he's trying to maintain a hard man image. <sighs> but everyone thinks he's having sex with ladies. It's very, very 
it's not clever drama. It's not clever comedy, but it is comedy for me. Fierce Creatures, very, I, I think it's very underrated. Don't think I'm wrong. It's not brilliant. It's not better than the physical one, but it's a good laugh for I 90 f- minutes. I think it's a very unknown sequel. Mm. The amount of people I know that quote Fishkill Wonder or talk about it and I say, oh, have you seen the sequel? They're like, but was there a sequel? Yeah. You know, this this is though, uh, unfortunately, John Cleese is, outside of the Python movies, this is his second best movie. Yeah. Next to uh, Clockwork. Yeah, I know that film. Or Clockwise. The one no, it's Clockwise. The, it's Clockwise. There is the, yeah. it the teacher trying it's to get the to the, yeah. Yes. Every time that movie comes on, no matter what time of night it is, I'm like, I'm watching this film. <laughs> um, so to stop a series of homicides, Tom Sizemore teams up with an evolutionary biologist in the movie Relic. Maybe the worst cop in the history of cops. What do you know when you're in a crime scene? Mm. I don't know about you, but if I was a policeman, I would let complete strangers just walk back and forth through it. <laughs> what dickhead! What absolute! He just spends his entire going. You can't do that, but they do it anyway. You're about as effective as a. But this is pre bone collector. Remember, <laughs> we're um, we're forensic we're science. Not give a shit. Was invented. <laughs> <laughs> because no one had ever done forensic science before. Oh. You've got to remember in the 80s, Mel Gibson would turn up to a crime scene smoking. Oh, that's true. You know what I mean? Walking all over shit. Just look at it and go, just he like, did it. <laughs> <laughs> because, because they were a cop. They were wise. They, they just looked at it and they figured it out. That was Barry. <laughs> but Barry done it. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, Bone Collector was the game changer. It was like all of a sudden it was looking at the science of a crime scene. I, I'm going to give Tom Sizemore a break in that, uh, you know, he's, he's detective... Team, his, his detective work might not have been up to standards in Relic, but the movie still isn't great. No, um, it's not. Scary Mark- movie poster, though. Yeah. Yeah, just kind of that horror, haunted face. Malkovich and Kidman were in Portrait of a Lady, um, and then there was, uh, way before Wuhan, there was a movie called Contagious, which was uh, centred around Mexican shrimp causing a pandemic. Obviously. Never be as good as Outbreak, mate, the original. Although, mm. probably not the original. <laughs> I liked Outbreak. I liked Outbreak as well. Can't really remember Contagion, that's the problem. With all these films, I always go to the granddaddy of all. It's Dustin Hoffman being outsmarted by a monkey. Of course. <laughs> that's what it is. In February that year, we had Johnny Depp going undercover to infiltrate a mob run by Al Pacino in the movie Donnie Brasco, a film that I did quite enjoy as a self-confessed uh, mob movie naysayer. It's just not my go-to genre. When I've seen one, I feel like I've seen them all. But I did quite like Donnie Brasco. I think it's one of his, I think when you talk about Al Pacino films, his greatness, he's brilliant as like the aging, like middle mobster who's not really respected. And you got Madsen who's going so over the top. And there's there are like really uneasy scenes, but it is really worse. It's a really good Johnny Depp film. It's a really good Al Pacino film. It's probably Madsen's best film. Mm. I mean, not really that difficult, but it's up there with like Reservoir Dogs and stuff like that. So very uncomfortable scenes. And even years later, and... I think that that's something to really go back with Johnny Depp is I know now he's he's probably more famous with the ongoing trial that's going with him and Amber Heard and the Pirates movies and, mm. and being kind of Disney's go-to person until he got dropped. You, he did some really good movies in his career and, and he probably still has got good movies to come, but there are some of those in the 90s that were actually actually quite good. Mm. In the Nick of Time, I thought was a good movie. A film shot in real time. I really like In the Nick of Time as well, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> but Donnie Brasco has some really uncomfortable scenes in it, particularly the restaurant scene where he's wearing a wire and he won't take his shoes off. Like, I, I, that scene made me cringe the first time I watched it and it makes me uncomfortable ever since. Um, now, sequels were great. Trilogies are brilliant, but by the time you get to the fourth movie, you've got to go big or go home. Mm. And Warwick Davis went big in 
Leprechaun 4. Where did he go? Wait, wait a sec. There's no other place on this earth he could have gone. So he went to space. Yeah, he and before you did. sneer at that, it took Jason 10 movies to get there. Is is the fourth one is you're out of ideas. Space it. Hellraiser 4 space. Oh, did they get there in 4 as they well? They got there in 4 because basically, mate, it turned out that the cube was darkness. Mm. And the only way to undo the darkness was space. <laughs> Don't question it. Move on. <laughs> I, wa- I feel they, like I want to series, question it. But- the series did. <laughs> so, uh, um, I love Warrior Davis. He's so funny. He's done that trailer for the new, because there's a Willow series coming out on Disney+. Plus. He's done a little trailer for it where he's just berating the new members of Stat- mm. uh, cast. And I'm going to rewatch Willow soon because I really remember loving that. And Val Kilmer, Val Kilmer used to be the boy, mate. He used to yeah. be the man. Well, no one's watching Leprechaun 4 anytime no, soon. No. Uh, space, mate. Run out of ideas. <laughs> Five years after the absolutely brilliant Unforgiven, Eastwood and Hackman would team up again, this time with Ed Harris in the first of four US political movies centred around the president, and that is, of course, Absolute Power, a film which centres around a murder scandal, and the only witness is a thief who was robbing the property at the time. This movie holds up. Underrated gem. Mm. It's brilliant. You've got Hackman in his tour de force, because as Hackman got older, he got better. Clint Eastwood, as he got older, got better. Um... Even Neil Harris, who, and Neil Harris, sorry, Ed Harris, who I'm not always sometimes a fan of. He's great. He's like the little cop. But underlining hero, Linda, uh, Laura Lindley. Laura, yeah. So good in this film. Like, brilliant. Like, the whole idea as well, you know, it's like he's robbing the house and then the murder takes place. So he can't admit that he's seen the murder mm. because he's now the prime suspect because he's got his fingerprints. It's an absolutely brilliant, great story. Coupled with like this weird relationship between father and daughter. It's like trying to do the right thing. You never really know who your dad is. Oh, brilliant. Loved it. Absolute power. I'm, never find it on anything though. No, no. Again, this is a late night BBC Two movie. Mm. Um, but I love this film. I think this film's great. It's got great tension in it. It's really well lit as well. It's one of those movies that really plays to like shadows and stuff yeah. like that. You know, Clint Eastwood just emerging to a, you know, to a telephone booth to make an anonymous call. It's a really, really good film. Talking to Laura Lindley as well. Um, Ozark, she's killing it. I'm on season four of that. I'm just finishing it. And it's a new series out now, isn't it? This is it. This oh, is, is the last part, part of right, season okay. four. Yeah. And I, so there is a, there's a term in Hollywood in, in terms of character portrayal. And that's the Lady Macbeth character that we talked about previously. And that is usually defined as the the wife or the love interest of the person that you're supposed to be watching when actually realising she's the more deadly one. She's yeah. the voice in the ear. She's pulling the strings. She's actually the one that you should have been keeping your eye on. Lady Macbeth character. Um, I'm almost getting ready to take that off the table and say it's, she plays Laura Linnick because the amount of time <laughs> she, she masters that. Look at film like Mystic River. I was literally going to say Mystic River, that's the perfect example when thingy's sad, Sean Penn's sad, and she just like manipulates the fuck out of it. And she does it in like three scenes. And it's the last, that movie is full of, you know, like uh, upset and heartache. And it's the end scene when she's sort of across from the parade and she knows what's happened. And the, the, the wife of the uh, Tim Robbins uh, yeah. doesn't know what's happened. And she smiles at her and you think, Oh, cause you're too busy looking at Kevin Bacon. You're too busy looking at Tim Robbins and uh, Sean Penn. And then in the background was Laura Linney all the time. And Oh, brilliant. I was just say, I don't want to get off topic, but you know who the main character for doing that is? Sherry Palmer from 24, mate. What a, there is not a person alive that didn't want to stab Sherry Palmer to death. And she's Lady Macbeth going like, no, let Jack Bauer's daughter die for like three series. (laughs) What a heel, mate. What a villain. Brilliant. I I was talking about 24 at work the other day and he's like, did you watch it? I went, yeah. I said, it's really weird, isn't it? The first one was about an assassination attempt. Very contained, serious, stakes were high. (laughs) Sixth episode, nuclear bomb went off in episode three. Where'd you go from that? Oh, right, a strike. But do you know what I mean? Like, just insane. (laughs) Um, February, we're going to end that month with 
they, no, nothing can describe it other than Piers Brosnan versus the volcano in Dante's Peak. The first of oh. two volcano movies in 97. Now my problem is, mate, I love the disaster movie. Mm. Piers Brosnan gives, he gives, he, this one is the shit. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no other way. It's just a shit. It's, it's terrible. It's just, it's Jaws, but replace the volcano, replace the shot with a volcano. Oh, this town is the second best. We live for the summer. Oh, the volcano's going to explode. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because it did teach us that you could drive. And this is my favorite thing. You always learn a lesson. You always learn a lesson from this. One, you can climb up a volcano relatively easy. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Mm. And number two, to survive a volcano, drive as fast as humanly possible into a mine shaft because that worked out well for you. In, in, a, in a great scene where everyone assumes that they're dead because they fucking would be. <laughs> and it, obviously, Linda, so, Linda Hamilton in this movie as well. Dan, Dante's beat's fun, in it? It's just it's it's nothing more than fun. It's like Brosnan's known in the 90s for his, his James Bond. Anything around that is just a bonus. Um, I, I don't mind Dante's Peak, to be fair. Yeah, the problem is, it's not as good as Volcano that's coming up. Oh, it's, it is. Shocker. It is. In March, uh, before the Avengers, we had Power Rangers with the movie Power Rangers Turbo. My mum never let me watch this, but I remember this one. This is when they got two of the original cast to come back. They got the Pink Ranger and the Red Ranger to come back. There you go, mate. So he sorted it. And there's two wizard elves in it. Move on. Yeah. Brad Pitt and Harrison Ford <laughs> team up in The Devil's Own. Oh, yeah. This is the start of, this is the year of who could do the worst accent. Step up, Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he perfected it. He perfected it by snatch. He did, but not in this film. This is this film's bad. Uh, he plays. What I love for this is he's an IRA terrorist that just goes to hang out with Harrison Ford, who happens to be a cop. What are the odds? What are the odds? Because he would have got away with it if he'd gone to live with I know a librarian. Mm. <laughs> it's just this is, the amount of times when people describe this movie. Like, what's that movie with Brad Pitt, Harrison Ford, and I go Patriot Games? No, Devil's Own. No, Patriot Games. No, it's Devil's Own. It's Devil's Own. And I keep getting these two mixed up. Don't worry about it because Sean, Sean Bean does a flawless Irish accent in the Patriots game. He's taking the piss. <laughs> Going back to that though, that is my, one of my favourite Sean Bean facts is that he, he flew back out to America and bear in mind doesn't like flying just so they could kill him differently because <laughs> <laughs> they thought the first version was too graphic. That's the most Sean Bean story ever. <laughs> Um, Jim Carrey's pants were on fire so much that his son wastes his birthday wish to sort him out. And that is, of course, liar, liar. That is the underlying fact, isn't it? Is that that's you've been playing Highlander the game? Yes, I know. <laughs> James, Without me, James has just noticed that you there's a prick. Highlander chip on the table. <laughs> if you haven't played the game Highlander, you should really just play it. No, because last time we played it, he was like, "Oh, good shit, I'm never playing it again." And then I invited you and your missus around here so I could get you to play another game of it and you both declined. So don't now fucking come out saying that you wanted to play Who's it. Who did you play with? I didn't, James. You know what that is? That's that chip that you fell on, that you lost on the floor that we've been looking for for two months. Anyway, we're digressing. <laughs> so you still haven't played it again? No. That's all right. Um, yes, Lie Lie. We covered this in the Jim Carrey episode, but it holds up. It's a good up. movie. Yeah, it's very good. I'd Like I say, I thought it was his third. I think it personifies his slapstick spiel. It's very yeah. good. Great well, not great, but weird. What, what what really for me is a landmark of the 90s is a simple idea that they expand and make and have fun with. Yeah. Lila is a good example of that. The premise is very, very simple. I mean, you could go down the route of it being about the connection between the father and the son, you know, what it means to be a dad and all that, you know, and what a promise means. But on the premise, it is, you know, a, a birthday wish that for, for 24 hours his dad cannot make a lie and then high jinks ensue. Because he's got a big case and he usually lies. Yeah. Because so he's a lawyer and that's clever and it's funny and it's, you know, he's got it. But whereas what, what really, and I'm going to talk about this in next week's show about mediocre movies as a spoiler of what we're doing next week. Um, in the 2000s, it seemed to be a plethora of movies that had great ideas and did nothing with them. Mm. 
you know, and, and that's such a contrast to the 90s where there were simple ideas, did great things. In the 2000s, seems to be this great writing and great ideas and just didn't go anywhere with them. and made them actually, made quite a cohort of quite dull movies. But we're in 97. So let's go to Jungle to Jungle where Dad of the Year and Santa Claus killer Tim Allen trades the concrete jungle for <laughs> South America uh, to find out the son he never knew he had. Think Jungle Book, but with Tim Allen being Tim Allen. So Tim Allen kills Santa Claus in front of his kid in one film and in this one he doesn't even know he has a kid. <laughs> Fucking father of the year. Put him in more things, Disney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that's the thing though, isn't it? Like anyone, anyone who works with Disney, anytime they're in the press for bad things, right, you shit cans, you're off, you're out. You know, and uh, Tim Allen though is that he just got more laughs than a cat in it. Yeah, how just, much drugs he smuggles? <laughs> just to <laughs> game. Um, yeah, I think this movie is one of them films. If it's just from the nineties, isn't it? The posters is famous. It's Tim Allen, you know, with his <laughs> face, <laughs> with you know, with travel headwear with arrows sticking out of it. Um, yeah, going on a vacation to find a son that he didn't know he has, and it is the fish out of water comedy. And I use that term very loosely. Um, Jungle to Jungle. I, I will admit, we watched this a lot in our house growing up. Really? It's just it, one of the films, wasn't it? it was one just, of dumb for me, mate. One mm. and done. So March, maybe not too great then. Let's move into April. The sulfur clouds of Dante's Peak had just settled when Anne Haysha and Tommy Lee Jones take it up a notch in Volcano, the second movie about a volcano from 1997 in which also the plot is irrelevant because you just want to see a volcano. You do. It's got so many side plots as well, like his daughter... You know, his daughter doesn't like Tommy Lee Jones, the father. You know, you've got Don Shield, he's trying to randomly steal Tommy Lee Jones's job. And then you've got quite possibly the best thing ever, mate. You've got lava that can outsmart humans. <laughs> and the film is so extra. Like, it spends 10 minutes, they like, they shoot the tires out of a bus and it falls down. And then lava goes around it. It's like, what is the fucking point? I just love it if Tommy <laughs> Jones looked at the camera at that point and just went, not again, lava. <laughs> like he'd been tricked previously. What's missing from this, though, is in Dante's Peak, they needed a backstory for why, because you know, you can't just hate volcanoes. So in the opening scene of Dante's Peak, the volcano kills Pierce Brosnan's wife. <laughs> so it gives him like a personal edge because because you need a personal edge where a volcano's gone off. <laughs> what I loved about this film, it shows that you don't need that. No. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is more true to volcanoes. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> volcanoes don't discriminate. They no, don't they don't, target, yeah. you know. Oh, what a great film. And I love the fact that at the end, mate, the only way to stop it is to blow up the biggest fucking building surrounded by people. There's mm. <laughs> so many people. What are the odds? I love the fact that the volcano's checked the map. <laughs> Gone, where can I do the most damage? It there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about the disaster movie, isn't it? Is that um, the film always ends before the, the dust settles, isn't it? Before yeah. anyone anyone has a chance to question, hold on, <laughs> like, <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> just like, how the fuck are we going to rebuild? That's the credits roll. Yeah, I always remember that in Mars Attacks. I remember the end of Mars Attacks where they're on the steps um, you know, and the kind of the survivors are there giving their speeches and, and, you know, the camera kind of does that zoom out thing. And you just think, was it worth living? When you, when you, you know, was it worth the survivor when you see the shit all with that place? That's true. Um, lot of dusting to be done. Oh, uh, Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion off the back of the success of Friends. Obviously all the cast would go on to do their movies, but Lisa Kudrow, I think was certainly the shining star of the original lineup. Starring in this movie with Mira Savino. So this is about uh, two uh, high school party girls that reinvent themselves going back to their reunion. Remember, the trailer was really well was really well shot. Lisa Kudrow was huge at the time after being probably the most popular friends. But her and Chandler were the ones that you wanted to be. Um, and Lisa Kudrow was like the thing in this time. I don't really remember the film that much. I remember the trailer more than anything. I, I think I was let down. I think I only saw it once though, to be fair. 
The trailer was everywhere. I remember on every DVD you had as well, there was always a trailer for there this. There was, wasn't there? Do you yeah. miss that 90s... Um, I do. That 90s voiceover. Yeah. He was just a guy, not looking for a girl. <laughs> and they cut to like a bit of the scene. And she was just a run-of-the-mill so-and-so. It's like, and together they are, boring couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I miss that voiceover, man. Yeah. He's probably richer than God now, though. And they always ended the trailer as well with the title of the film, didn't they? Yeah. So they'd be like... Um, like the movie While You Were Sleeping. Yeah, like, while You Were Sleeping. <laughs> yeah. Oh, more murder and more, <laughs> more political scandal. Murder at 1600, a movie that I confess, I think was one of the first DVDs I ever owned. I certainly owned Negotiator on DVD and I think I had uh, Tomorrow Never Dies on DVD and I think Murder at 1600 was probably up there. This is This is a great example of really good story ideas. Like my problem now with like modern TV, modern film is it's like, oh, something happens. There's got to be a superhero in it. This one, there's a murder at the White House and Wesley Snipes, there's like jurisdiction who hasn't, it's a local cop. So he has to answer questions in a world where like there's political intrigue and stuff like that. And he quite clearly couldn't give a toss. He's just like, who killed her? Yeah. <laughs> just, I do not care. And there's like this ongoing story. I really like Murder at 600. I just think it's very underrated. It's Wesley Snipes moving away from his action. He actually genuinely has to... He's got acting chops. He's got acting chops. Yeah, right? and he's against Diane Lane, who, you know, I imagine is quite a formidable actor to go against. She's yeah. she's awesome, you know. She is. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like Murder at 1600. It's one of them as well that's been that long that I probably forgot the ending, so I could probably rewatch it. Yeah, I remember it. Don't own the DVD anymore, though. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Um, next, a giant scaly snake-like creature called John Voight stars in Anaconda with J-Lo, Ice Cube, and I think Owen Wilson. <laughs> yep, Owen Wilson's in it. He's the first to die because this was the night, mate. Yeah. <laughs> he was always the first to die. Um, not Going back to, because obviously the other one with that is Armageddon in 99. Oh, I was not, going not, I was going for the haunting. Oh, with the haunting, yeah. <laughs> so but Not only did I forget that Owen Wilson dies in Armageddon, I forgot there was a whole second ship. Um <laughs> Do you, know what, do you know what I really do like about this film? Is that giant snakes, these anacondas are huge, they're massive. One, John Voight isn't the sort of person you'd pick up because he's so off the chain mental. And what is that accent? What is going on? You've got Danny Trego in this film and he's just like, you had a better kind of star here. Mm. It's the fact that he decides to take a shortcut and they blow up a bridge, which is about three foot high, which was somehow keeping out the giant anacondas. Yeah, you can't disrupt an anaconda nest. Um, and, and our favourite joke, I don't know how we're going to do it though, because it came up organically last time, is, is John Voice so bad, not even the snake could stomach him. <laughs> Vomits him out. That and should... he winks to basically say, you'll never get rid of me. <laughs> I'm never going to die. The, the, I mean, yeah, that should have been on the, the case because on the case was when you can't breathe, you can't scream, which I think we used the comparison last time of, that's like saying when you're asleep, you can't be bored. <laughs> Anaconda is, is, is a film I really wanted to like and, and I certainly didn't see it in the cinema too young but when it was on Sci-Fi Channel or whatever it was I was like fuck this movie is about a giant snake that eats people I'm all about this yeah it's got, got a sequel somehow well, everything's got a sequel now doesn't yeah. it uh, a movie that I do love uh, Grossy Point Blank oh, do, oh, oh amazing film very quotable underrated gem as well one of the best comedies you'll ever see mm. Hitman going back to his high school reunion to complete a job with some of the best lads. And I'm not going to waste time no. by repeating some of them, but they are but it's, it's phenomenal. A, Dan Aykroyd, I think you, you straight away go to Ghostbusters and the likes. And, and actually this is a great Dan Aykroyd movie as well, isn't it? So over the top as well. Brilliant. Mm. He's got a brilliant <clears throat> John Cusack, but an underrated Joan Cusack as well. He plays like the secretary for the hitman. She is phenomenal. This yeah. is, these are sort of films when you go, Joan Cusack is genuinely a national treasure of the earth. 
Yeah. I love Joe Cusack. I do. Double team, Van Damme and Dennis Rodman. What's next? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what I don't understand is this, right? So next time you have an idea that's going to change the world and you get a bit upset about it, you go, well, maybe I shouldn't do it. But there's, a, there's an executive out there that thought, wait a minute, Van Damme, Mm. Rodman together <laughs> together could have a fight in a mm. in a coliseum when With, someone stood on a mine yeah, and there's a tiger I'm so glad you said that because in my head when I wrote these movies down I was like does that end in a coliseum with landmines yeah I don't know how we get there <laughs> but it doesn't matter it, it doesn't matter but I, that is how that film ends isn't it yeah fuck me move on um, and of course we had The Saint with Val Kilmer uh, this is one of the movies which I don't get the hype around it's not very good it's terrible and I like, like I said Val Kilmer's a bit of a boy but it's mm. a bad film Chasing Amy as well so we'll see Kevin Smith dive it from the quick stop and see two comic book dudes falling for a lesbian it's not his best I know I know a lot of people it, they've changed how they look at it now I'm never really a fan yeah. it's too Ben Affleck heavy when he wasn't that good so Good, good analysis. I do like going back. To, I'm a Kevin Smith fan, so I do like going back to all Kevin Smith's work. Um, you know, and and uh, it has elements of it that I do quite enjoy. And I think if you know who Kevin Smith is and listen to a lot of his podcasts, you can really enjoy Chasing Amy because you yeah. see a lot of him in that film. Um, but yeah, it's, I think anything outside of that bubble, mm. it, I don't think it's his best work. And especially yeah. off the bat of things like Dogma and yeah, exactly. of course Clerks. Um May, so we got Danny Glover and Joe Pesci in the movie Gone Fishing, which is not a guilty pleasure. It's not a guilty pleasure, it's a pleasure, mate. It's a good movie. It is a good movie. Um, A very hard find, though. Mm. A lot of cult fans. This is one of my first, I remember remember this was a cult movie because my friends introduced this to me. I never saw this film. They're like, have you seen Gone Fishing? Watch it. There you Mm. go. It's like a borrowed film. Like you borrowed it from a mate. Mm. There you go. It is. It's a DVD borrow movie. Yeah, there you go. Uh, we had John Hammond sending Ian Malcolm back to Dinosaur Infested Island with one rule. He said, uh, Ian, don't bring him back to the big city. Don't, don't matter how much time they ask, just, don't bring him back here. Just don't fuck off. Yeah. Just don't fuck about. And he's like, yeah. It's a shame because Pete Possaway is in it. And there's a great scene where he's trying to, he's, when you first see them and they're capturing dinosaurs and he's got a list of what they're called. And in the end he goes, Elvis. It's just like, that's that's who you want to send to hunt dinosaurs. Someone who can't be asked to read the name of the dinosaur. <laughs> it's a bad film. It is. It, I, I, it's the film I want to like, when I keep going back to it, I want to like it for the for all the elements, the Vince Vaughn, the base jumping scene, all the kind of stuff, the gymnastic dinosaur killer scene. <laughs> but I don't, I just wish there was a scene at the beginning of John Hammond's, you know, the, the character obviously played by uh, Sir um, Richard, Richard Ambrose. Yeah. I just wish there's a scene where he's kind of, he's, you know, he's, he's scrambling around. He's like, Ian Malcolm, was he a mag- did he know magic or was it chaos theory? I'm pretty sure it was magic. <laughs> let's, let's send him back to the islands. And then there's a scene where he gets there and goes, oh shit, I've sent a mathematician. <laughs> but do you know what? Extra points because we've got a Richard uh, Schiff sign. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. Uh, Pete Possilway would uh, continue. So I love, we use this in the, the way we recorded this episode uh, previously. If you were in 97 in a cinema and you had two doors in front of you, you could either go into Jurassic Park 2 and see Pete Postlewave as the um, as the hunter, or you could see him 
in a brass band national competition in the movie Brassed Off. You see, when you read this on paper, it doesn't sound that interesting, but Brassed Off is genuinely an achievement in British cinema. It's absolutely fantastic. His uh, relationship with his son, who is, plays the vicar in Balakis Angel in LA is a fucking drag. It's some of the greatest things ever. Like when mm. he the film starts and he's dressed up as a clown and debt collectors come and beat the shit out of him. It's what a film. And then you're not even mentioning like a little young Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Cutting his teeth. What? Oh, I love Brassed Off. Like the idea as well that... The band means so much to the working class. It's really good. What a great story. I love mm. Rastoff. I flipping love it. It's a good film. Got it free in like the mirror once. And I've still got Th- it. That is such a mirror <laughs> That's movie, such a mirror movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget, there'll be an advert. Don't forget this Sunday's uh, Daily Mirror where you get a free copy of Rastoff. Yeah, you go. Just put in a little cardboard sleeve. Yes, it, that's exactly what it did. Patrick Dempsey and Michael Caine travel to, uh, sorry, 20,000 leagues under the sea to leave all copies of the movie <laughs> at the bottom. <laughs> Because I didn't even know they'd done this film. No, I never knew it existed. I didn't know there was a Michael Caine, Patrick Dempsey, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea I know this is the second time I've heard about it. I forgot about it. I I forgot about it instantly. Uh, What we got next? So we've got a newly retired uh, action star, Bruce Willis, and director Luc Besson in the movie The Fifth Element. The film centers around a taxi driver in the year 2,257 who must save a young girl and all of humanity against Gary Oldman's weird hairstyle. Love it. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And, <clears throat> bit of a fact, one of very few films where the villain and the hero never meet. In fact, the closest they come is they walk down the same corridor, but seconds differently. Um, I love this film. I think this film's brilliant. I think it's underrated. You've got even the stand-up comedian, is that Luke Evans? No, not Luke Evans. Anyway, I've done you, this. you got um, Chris uh, Evans. Or no. No. Doesn't matter. Lee Evans. Lee Evans. Lee Evans, Lee Evans. Now, yeah. yeah, you've got... And I... I don't know how you feel about Chris Tucker, but I thought Chris Tucker was brilliant in this because he's supposed to be annoying. Mm. You got Ian Holm. You've got a great cast here, all doing different things. And you know what? The humor's quite good. I like their version of like history. Like mm. their version of McDonald's, mate, is exactly how I think. You know, a massive queue in the sky. <laughs> I, I think the film's good. And I think some of, a lot of the sci-fi elements to it, like you, know, you think some of the staples of sci-fi is, is always going to be movies like Blade Runner. Um, but, you know, this, this, this there, there are scenes in this which are far better than, for example, like, Attack of the Clones, the second Star Wars movie, you know, there's this whole chase sequence in that with hovercraft cars chasing after an assassin. Mm. And I just, every time I watch that movie, I'm like, it's not as good as Fifth Element. You know, when you got yeah. um, Bruce Willis driving around in his, his hovercraft taxi in his chaotic future uh, science fiction world. I, I think it's a good movie, yeah. And Miller Jovovich as well, you know, reminds you when, when, when she's good, she's great. And then she just films with her husband and she's not great. Yeah. Monsters and... Zombies. Oh uh, Mike Myers mm. would give us uh, Austin Powers. At the time, one of the funniest things I'd ever seen. I will not go back and rewatch it because that film will tank like a tiger in an airplane. <laughs> I, yeah, I do not think this film's going to age well. No. It's produced as a show, but there was, this was a, so the comedies that literally sync up perfectly to the humour of that time. And to me, those three films are all pretty stellar. Mm. Then they got better. I, I still think Goldmember was the funniest, especially with the opening of the cameos and at the end. But what an absolutely phenomenal film series at the time. Now, genuinely probably not going to be funny. Yeah, all the Doctor Evil stuff is great, you know, and, yeah. and the uh, the Seth Greeny stuff, the young Will Farrell scenes, you know, all that kind of... Oh, Mufasa and yeah. all Mustafa here. He's all, like, I'm yeah. still just very badly burned. <laughs> you shot me. Yeah, you all the henchman the stuff, you know, he's, he's, he's brilliant. Um, and I do like the poker fun of James Bond because... He does sometimes come across as the you know too serious, and, and actually I quite like a, a parody such as this. But yeah, um, yeah, I can't I can't see it aging too well. And 
Mike Myers, I think, as Austin Powers, the, the title character, is a bit annoying. <laughs> <laughs> even, even when I was younger, I used to just think, oh, he's a bit annoying. Um, Billy Christian and Ron Williams will give us Father's Day as well, which is, I think, a really good comedy. And something that is synonymous with the 90s is two people falling in love with the same person. You know, we talked about with uh, like Chase and Amy, but also, you know, in this, you've got two people, they don't know which one's the dad. So the mum's like, I'm just going to send you both on a rescue mission. <laughs> Turns out it might not even be either of those two. Who's well, it going to be? Says more about the mum. <laughs> anyway, June. Blockbuster season, dialed up to incredible. Ooh. If you weren't engaged, fast your seatbelt because we're riding Conair. Mate, it's Nicholas Cage. He's done it all. He's done lots of different things. How are you going to make this film stand out? I don't know. Vest, I like it. Long hair, I like it. Southern drawl, I like it. Who's tight gonna, jeans. Tight jeans, mate. Who's he going to go up against? Well, I don't know. Malkovich? Ving mm. Reams. I can't remember. Oh, Steve Buscemi. Steve mm. Buscemi. And let's be honest, this film ends with Steve Buscemi somehow as the hero. He's like, does he feel lucky? Yes. Yes, he does. And he's like, yeah, oh, he killed children, right? <laughs> he's the hero. Uh, Danny Trejo. I think this was the first film that he genuinely like, started scare me in because he's like Johnny 23. What a horrible, it's again, it's a really simple idea. All the most horrible criminals mm. on one plane, one parolee trying to get a lift home. And it's about doing the right thing. Because he's a former ranger, obviously, because he, he can't be a criminal. He yeah. accidentally killed someone. You can't root for someone who, yeah, is bad. Um, and some great scenes that are generally cringeworthy. Like, my mum is coming home on July the 14th. <laughs> it's absolutely terrible. But you know what? What a fucking epic film. And that's not even mentioning John Cusack. Again. John, John Cusack, yeah. mate. Uh, just following him around. I love this film. Yeah. And standout scene for me, a standout character is, is Garland Green, is Steve Buscemi, because his, his lips and his words are like licorice, mate. Mm. They're just so beautiful. He's like, define irony, group of idiots singing a song on a plane made famous by a group that died in a plane crash. Mm. And then he's just like, as the plane's crashing, he's singing the whole world in his hands. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? Absolutely great film. And this is after the plane crash lands on the Las Vegas Strip. Yeah, he just what an absolute hero. Uh, Nick Cage had a blast that month because we also gave us Face Off with John Travolta. Um, the movie months. that they, they keep teasing is going to be remade, you know, um, with Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds or, or a similar pairing. But back then, this is another thing of the 90s and I suppose the 80s. It's just, just don't listen to the science. Let's just go with it. Just go with it. You can swap faces and bodies and voices. Just go with it. Go with it. I loved it. It's one of my favorite action films. I, when we re talk about redoing our list, Face Off is one... There's three films of Best Action and Face Off's one of them. Mm. It was summed up, I know the lines off by heart. And I really love the idea that, you know, it happens. Cast Troy, the villain, wakes up, gets the doctor, gets John Travolta's face put on him, and he kills them all. And these are the only people who know how to do it until the end when they find another doctor who knows exactly how to do it. And they believe him because some because the wife tells a story, oh, it's him. And they go, well, how? It's like, oh, because he told me a story about how I met. It was like, well, have you never been asked, you know, at a dinner? Oh, how did you two meet? And tell that story. Fucking idiots. This, this fucker's supposed to be head of the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do like it for its nonsense action. And it's a time when... Like I say, you could, it just had them set pieces in it, the shootout. Doves. Doves, yeah. Doves. And, and or the famous wood, mate, where, where there's a shootout and he hides behind wood, he survives, but then he then turns around and looks through the bullet hole, which should have shot him in the spine. Yeah. <laughs> Speedboat chases. I, like this movie, literally at the end, they were just like, fuck it, throw everything at it. Let's just keep going. Speedboat. It doesn't matter. Let's just go there. Um, and I like John Travolta at the end as well, where he, he does that last... Ditch he helps him. him. Yeah, that, yeah he's, he's like, 
You, yeah, you may kill me, but you're not getting your face back. And, and then, then he pres- perfectly cuts around his face. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I said it. <laughs> I would have gone straight for the nose. You what, know? I, what I love about it is that he thinks that's a difference. And you go, well, they live in a world where he can swap your face and there's no scar. So why do you think that will make a difference? Yeah. <laughs> I don't oh, know. Should have set fire to his face. There you go. Face Off is a wicked movie. Face Off is a wicked film. Poster was awesome as well. It was. I had it for ages. I think it was one of the first movie posters I went down. You know, the news agents. Mm-hmm. Right? I could have put my name on the back of it. I had Face Off. Uh, Hercules, the animated Walt Disney movie, which we talked about in our last animation episode, I believe uh, it was. Yeah, it wasn't me though, because I haven't seen it. I do like Hercules. I think it's a good movie. Um, wasn't all great in June. We had Batman and Robin. I don't want to do it again. <laughs> I don't, I don't, it's a bad film. It and is. you you, you decide, listeners, what's the worst thing that happened to Batman? Is it bat nipples or is it bat credit card? Because I still think there might be a reason for bat nipples. Yeah. The bat card would have his name and address to it. How does that even make sense? I think the worst thing that happened to Batman was Joel Schumacher. Fucking, mate, I'm not, I've started it. Bat card, never leave the cave without it. Shut the fuck up, George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> Now I know why Superman works alone. I wish you'd fall in a vat of acid. <laughs> the thing I don't get about it is the pit. Like I get, I get all the, I get going back to the '66 style and yeah, Joshua Macker. Well, no, but do you know what I mean? Like to some people, '66 is their Batman, and therefore taking it away from the timber and dark and gritty and making it a bit more playful, aimed at kids, marketed to kids. But the thing I can never get my head around is that the guy who wants to freeze the earth teams up with the guy who wants to, uh, sorry, with the woman who wants to inhabit it with. Like, you plants. know, plants. That don't survive in the Arctic weather yeah. that he wants to run. So even that is just really bad writing. What about, At least Two-Face and Ridley, you can kind of see why they'd be put together. What about, what about the password? That's really easy to work out if you know anything about the butler. It's like, what's this password? Well, that. Oh, that was it. Or n- not even that. What about, you know, I can't... I can't what about it. the fact that he sized up Alicia Silverstone's uh, bat That's suit? weird. It's yeah. like, I've been looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> I've, just, I've just been judging the size. Rubber lips. That Rubber scene, lips is that bad. scene where 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 Batman falls and quite clearly can't get up. <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh mate, the fact that they fucking skydive on the doors of whatever blows up at the beginning, <laughs> whatever that is, <laughs> mate. And to end it off, I'm sure Alicia A. Fox is in this and she's singing. She's uh, Doctor Freeze's bit aside, and they're singing Mister Frosty, and and he's made of ice. Mm. and he hides out in a giant ice cube ice cream factory. I mean, fucking... Hiding in plain sight, James. That's what you don't get. But the rest of Gotham's like like a dusty shit <laughs> Oh, terrible. I'm not saying it's a perfect movie. <laughs> it is. It's it generally terrible. one of the worst films I've ever made. Yeah. And I've now gotten to that point, mate, where I've gone full circle. And, and you know when I used to like it? Like it, ironically. No, you're shit. Um, I hope those seatbelts are still fastened because next we've got a movie called Speed 2, a film that doesn't need seatbelts <laughs> because it's a cruise ship. Yeah, that might come up. That might come up soon. <laughs> Look, I speed too. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so um, for the record, speed is the. I reckon I watched speed for the first time. I watched speed with a friend of ours called Josh for the first time. I've never seen it before. And I'm just saying this: speed is a fucking phenomenal movie. I know we've actually done up. the year it was in, but speed. We did a Sandra Bullock episode, didn't we? When yeah. We talked about speed. And first, we did night for the year it came out as well. We have as well. Yeah. yeah so speed, mate. But speed too. Uh, <laughs> In July, we had The Brave, which was Johnny Depp's second movie of the year, this time starring with Marlon Brando. And if you haven't heard of it, it's because, well, not a lot of people have. Johnny Depp plays a Native American Indian who needs Again. money and he's offered to take part in a snuff movie. I'm going to it's skip that one. F- what fucking weird sense. Do you know what that would have been called if at the time Marlon Brando gave a shit and it wasn't such a weird film? Mm. Spawn. Love Spawn. Absolutely like love Spawn. He's got one of the, he's got one of the, mate, he's, oh yes. Mm. I got everything wrong, but it was brilliant. 
The villain's got scorpions. Michael Sheen's got scorpions in his lair. You've got the devil that looks like a cat on fucking meth, mate. It's, it's so over top. But do you know what? It was fun and it was different. It wasn't Batman and Robin. It was like John Lezagamo as a clown, the defiler. What a film. Absolute balls, but loved it. And they're always in talks of remaking it. Always. So um, I hope it's a film that gets the treatment, but it kind of keeps that that kind of feel to it. I really liked Spawn at the time. I, I think they're going to remake it, and I think it's a film that we'll look back on and think way ahead of its time. Mm. Because I think a... Um, I think a sequel, a sequel or a, or a reboot is, is, is what Spawn needs because I think it took its shot and it was too early and actually we need to go back to it and revisit it. It's yeah, a I great character. I think the CGI levels weren't as, if they were made right now with a kind of same story, maybe change it a bit. Yes. Yes. I should just stop because I, earlier on, it's been bugging me. When you mentioned about Billy Zane, you said you liked your Billy Zane. I think you quoted the movie The Panther and it's actually The Phantom. That it Billy is Zane The Phantom. In. I apologise. So I just had to quickly have a look. And, um, really? The, yeah. And the, I um, said that about like 20 minutes ago. It's been bugging me. Okay. And it's just the tagline of that movie as well was Slam Evil. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Fucking hell. It's, it, it's, it's not that creative. It's just evil slam it. Yeah. <laughs> not even that. It's Slam Evil. Uh, 90, uh, so in, in July, we also got 187, Sam Jackson as a school teacher taking on crime in school. So after he's the victim of a brutal stabbing, he relocates, goes back into education as a substitute teacher and tries to change the system and those involved in it. When he tries to change the system, though, I like him as Coach Carr. I think that's <clears throat> just a better film. That's just me. I'm sorry. Or it's all right. Dangerous Minds. Or, you know, any of those other films. Ones. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, the third movie about the president, this time Harrison Ford's in Air Force One. So Gary Oldman also coming back for a, uh, a second outing in, in 1997. Air Force One, to many, one of the quintessential action movies of its time. Fucking loved it. It's absolutely brilliant. It's so over the top. You've got a thick accent. You've got another great performance of the villain as Gary Oldman. But mate, I like my Harrison Ford elected <laughs> and, and shaken. And I love the fact that it might genuinely be the worst secret service group in the world. It's like you had one job. Game off the plane. Couldn't even manage that and you got shot. You are fucking useless. Again, going back to the, the writer's room or the producer in the studio, it's, it's, I imagine the cell of this was terrorists on a plane <gasps> and the only person that could stop it is the goddamn president. And then I imagine they all stood up and slew it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only way it would have worked. And it's like, what, so how are we going to get us there? Doesn't matter. That's secondary to the idea. Move on, mate. <laughs> um, George of the Jungle, Brennan Fraser. Loved it. It's overrated. Uh, don't get me wrong. It's a comedy film, but it's got some of the best fourth wall breaks from a like Disney film. Second John Cleese out in. Yes. That's actually got a really good storyline. It, it's got a really good thing. It's like they, they're trying to hunt the white ape and then the villain sees him and is like, is he going to guy in a leotard? like, if I wanted that, I could stay in Vegas. And then the uh, gorilla says something. He's like, fuck me. <laughs> I talking. It's one of those things that usually Disney would avoid. Mm. Just ignore. Uh, but it was brilliant. And then the film comes about kidnapping fucking John Cleese. <laughs> As an ape. As an ape, of course. <laughs> As an ape. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, Good Burger, Keenan and Kel uh, starring in their, I, I, I probably assume was their, their debut breakout after the hit Nickelodeon TV show. Um, but obviously not as Keenan and Kel this time in Good Burger, a film that I really wanted to like, but it's didn't really get into. It's it. a really bad film. It's really bad and you can't help it, but move on. So in August, <sighs> G.I. Jane. It's still an odd film to reference. <laughs> it's it's still odd. It's fucking forgettable. It, it genuinely hasn't been. It hasn't been relevant in like twenty years. <laughs> and someone's made it relevant, and it's still a shit film. <laughs> yeah. Um, Event Horizon. Love it. Oh, the Paul W. S. Anderson film. You can like. 
is phenomenal. It's really good. It's it's atmospheric. It's brilliant. You care about Lawrence Fishburne. The idea that the ship is transported and, and it plays on the audience's expectations. Mm. Like it's, it's been missing for seven years. The ship is you're supposed to be the big tits. <laughs> it's going to be the big balls, <laughs> mate. It can go faster than light. It can disappear and come back straight away instantaneously. Disappeared. What's happened to it? Well, Sam Neill created the ship. You know, he gave birth to it. You know, he created it. He's he literally obviously, gave yeah, birth to it. He's obsessed <laughs> he with it. He laid it. <laughs> and then the signal comes down. So he gets this rescue team and they travel all the way to Neptune. And it turns out that the ship, eh, been hell. <laughs> and it's gory, it's atmospheric, it's brilliant. And it does this really weird thing, whereas it doesn't handhold the audience, but it makes you feel for the characters and they're organic. It's not like you see this. So if one, for example, one of the characters is a mum. And she's got a kid with disabilities, but it doesn't pull at your heartstrings because she's the mum to the to the crew. Mm. And like the things that play with her, she sees visions of her son. It's like she's following her. Oh, he's fucking eerie as fuck. And Event Horizon genuinely is a brilliant film. Jason Isaac's in that movie as Joe's well. Joe's great cast. I, I, what I like about it as well is, you know, it's the inventor, the creator, you know, I, I imagine they were like, so tell me about the ship. Like, is it, you know, what's it? Oh, it does all these things. It's fast. It, you know, it, it can go to hell and back quite literally. <laughs> Sorry, how's it? How's it? Is it? Is it well furnished? Uh, what? Is it, does it have pillows? A toilet? A lavatory? No. No. It's a lot of metal. A lot it's, of spikes. It's like in the engine room that makes the whole thing go. There's just random spikes. It was like any reason? No. 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 no, no a lot cool. of metal. Looks, um, I was going through my punk phase when I designed it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Sam Neill in a fucking turn, mate. Like he's up there with another film that I think came out this year, didn't it? In the Math of Madness. In the Math of Madness. No, that came no. out earlier. Well, that's a great, absolutely phenomenal. He, Sam Neill. I think might be genuinely better as his fucking as scary a as a psycho than anything else. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Um, we, another great movie was Copland, which I know you're a oh, huge fan I of. I could talk about it for days. I think I have several times. It's a film I never got. One of the most underrated films of all time. Steve is a girl measured as an action hero. <clears throat> Thought his career was kind of over. He, he didn't know where he went. It's about a cop who doesn't belong. He's literally the cop. Death can't get on the can't get on the forces. Uh, Harvey Cartel, just a phenomenal cast doing something great. Ray Liotta, it's kind of like they all play versions of themselves. Like Ray Liotta's a down on his look cop. Got Eddie Falco in it. You've got fucking John Spencer in it in the, the famous shooting scene. It's do you know what this film? Magnifique. It's for me. It's a ten on ten film. It's a masterpiece. You haven't seen it. You're missing out. Yeah, Copland's Copland's definitely one to watch. A movie that I love, you know, which was a huge blockbuster, is uh, Men in Black that came out that year in that time as well. Men in Black is a great movie that I think we're so used to seeing the buddy cop movie, you know, particularly the the veteran and the rookie in mm. things like Lethal Weapon and, and you know, the kind of the street beat cop, you know, taking the steps up as the uh, the investigator, the homicide detective. And this kind of played with those uh, tropes, but put it in a sci-fi world where actually the villains that they were tracking down were rogue aliens. It's got some great performances in it, um, not at least from Vincent D'Anfario, who plays the, the cockroach man, if you will. Um, you know, <laughs> he, What's really weird is he's the most that's changed in that entire film. Because until you mentioned it when we talked about it a few weeks ago, I was like, that's not fucking yeah. it. It is. It, and it also, it, it, it crescendos in a, a, what I thought was a brilliant climactic scene towards the end of it. It's got, it doesn't feel overly long as well. I think it's a really well paced movie and each section is as entertaining. You know, the recruitment, the going through the, uh, the process, the trial, He's really insane. I think he's Will Smith at his height, at his peak. Maybe not his best, but certainly his most memorable. Um, Men in Black. We also had the full Monty. <sighs> if Brastoff is one of the best things that Britain has produced, 
I think Full Monty's up there. And you know what? You could be all cynical and everything. It's about people. You know, it's got laugh out loud scenes that you kind of forget about during the time. It opens with them stranded. You know, they're trying to steal girders and they're mm. stranded in a canal. And a guy walks past him and he goes, all right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> it leads to a brilliant, uh, like, argument about former miners and steel workers trying to find existence in a world that's forgotten about them. It, it's, it's about the forgotten people. And, you know, what's their, what's their solution? Strip for money. It's a fantastic, very good, very well-written and holds the stands up to the test time. And it's even got a new series coming out, which I will fucking watch and I hate that sort of stuff. It is, it is good, and it's it's the it's a British movie, and it? it's a, it always ends with the community the community coming together by the end of the movie. Yeah, um, I think we've also uh, probably not got time to talk about, but Mel Gibson, uh, Julia Roberts, and Patrick Stewart teamed up for the movie Conspiracy Theory, Amazing which is film. a good nineties action movie um, about Mel Gibson being a, a conspiracy theorist. Conspiracy theorist who actually gets one right. Yeah, which is brilliant. It's a brilliant idea, isn't it? It's just yeah. so you take it hundred shots, you got one. <laughs> and he gets uh, entangled in a, in a web of, um, like I say, conspiracy. I, I think it's quite a good movie, actually. Patrick Stewart stepping out of his comfort zone to mm. go full-on villain, which is, you always appreciate that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and wrapping off uh, August, Mimic, a film about cockroaches uh, that <laughs> scientists create a breed of insects to kill them off, and then they're supposed to die. But then three years later, the species has survived and they become a monster that can mimic humans in the greatest what the fuck moment since face off. I genuinely think that as scientists, you might have failed. It's like, get rid of some of these cockroaches, hire an exterminator, <laughs> just just put some traps down. No, create a new species. <laughs> Let it then start killing humans. <laughs> so up there, mate, with Relic for what the actual fuck? Yeah, Mimic's one of those. Mimic, Relic, Species, the, the, the movies that came out at that time. Just they, like, they all blend into one yeah. eventually. September, George Clooney tries to erase audiences' memories of the bat nipples who transforms himself into a mullet-wearing nuclear specialist in the movie Peacemaker, or The Peacemaker. It's all right. It's, it's better Clooney, but then it's not difficult. It's, it, it's better Clooney, but somehow less Nicole Kidman. <laughs> just, uh, I remember more of the poster than I do with the actual yeah. movie. This and the film Mercury Rising, you know, the Bruce Willis yes. movie, are the ones where I, I, I could tell you the poster from 100 miles away. What the film's about, I'm like, yeah, I mean, stuff. Yeah, I, I know enough to get me to what the film's about, but not any of the actual detail of the film. It's a, it's got a good concept of someone trying to steal a lot of bombs and then one person stealing one, mm. and you've been more focused on the person who's stealing one because they'll actually use it, and that's a really good idea. <clears throat> and a, during a time as well where terrorism wasn't, you know, fucking something you have to live with every day. Yeah, or maybe it was. It just oh, it was, but not we did have the world like, news yeah. that, that covers it and the amount of uh, media outlets that we have now. Um, LA Confidential. Oh, how much time have you got? It's my favourite film of all time. Uh, it's, it's got three class actors in the main roles. Russell Crowe as the, like, beat him up. You know, the cop of what you would say this time, this film noir where he uses his fist. You've got Kevin Spacey, redacted, and, you know, celebrate the art, not the artist, as, like, the super Hollywood cop. You know, he doesn't actually want to be a cop. He wants the headlines. He mm. wants the big cases. Uh, and then the sporting cast of uh, Kim Basinger, who won the Oscar, she's brilliant as like this aging Scarlet, but prostitute. She's made up to be a way that, you know, you can give people a fantasy life. Cromwell. Um, James Cromwell. Yeah. James Cromwell as a, as a villain with second worst accent this year. Mm. Um, it's all great, but probably the piece de resistance, I don't know how you feel, is probably Guy Pierce as the, the new cop. Yeah. The one who tries to do the vision of the new place. He's trying to, play politics but he's trying to do the right thing you know he's the cop that turns all the cops in he's hated by everyone but he wants to he wants to go up murder mystery who did this who did that 
some scenes, unforgettable. They'll haunt you to your times. They'll haunt you to your days. Rolo Tomasi, who is he? What does it mean? Great standout moments. Action, brilliant. Not so much romance, but the writing, fantastic. On point, on fleek. Could go on and talk about why L.A. Confidential is the last masterpiece they ever made. It's probably not, so I'm not going <laughs> <laughs> to. I mean, it's certainly not, but it, of, of the 90s, it's certainly, yeah. 97 is close enough. It's a nice bookend to the decade, it's, I guess. It's what a phenomenal film. It's a film that I make people watch. Mm. And I read the book. I love the book. It's, it's one of these films that is a fascination because it is so on point. I start reading about how it's made, the ideas and that type of thing. It's such a great storyline. And I don't think it's been, but as cop dramas go, weirdly this year had two of the best ones. I love Copland. And I love LA Confidential, and then stick in like Lithuania, Weapon, and I'm done. Dard. Obviously, mm. there you go. The, the the but the detective noir film style, yeah, is really attractive, isn't it? It's is so attractive. Whereas I'm not a moth to the flame when it comes to mobster movies. I am for LA Confidential, yeah, that type of film kind of noir. Like, did you ever get around to watch Chinatown? Yeah, Chinatown. Chan- yeah, Chinatown's like the number yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's a reason why it's my all-time favorite. Now, I, I guess that will never change because mm. it's a film that you, you know, when you fall in love with the film, I fell in love with it. It is good, good poster as well. No, a great poster. Uh, going into October, we had Prosthetic Penis on Mark Wahlberg in the movie Boogie Nights, which is by Thomas <laughs> uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. It's the 1977 porn-infused drama. Uh, which sees Marky Mark inducted into the pleasure industry. A film that I love, Paul Thomas Anderson, but he's not my favourite work. And I think it's because of Mark Wahlberg. It's not for me. I don't like any of it. I don't even like Burt Reynolds in it. It's a, it's, mm. To me, it's a film that just, I can understand why people would like it. Not for me. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah. Good performances, just not for just me. Just not for me. Just doesn't tickle me right. Um, Keanu Reeves sells his soul, makes a pact with the Al Pacino as he uproots from LA to New York to take up a position in a law film in the movie The Devil's Advocates. Completely opposite. You can see why people would hate this film. Weirdly, really like it. No real reason for it though. It's just like, he's the devil, you're my son, have sex with your half-sister. <laughs> Which is essentially the end of that film. Yeah, I mean, when you wrap it up like that... Charlie mean... Theron, was the only performance from Charlie Theron, she's brilliant. Um, mm. Not for me. Uh, no, sorry, not for audiences, but weirdly for me, because I quite I love Al Pacino because... Oh, who's going to play the devil? Al Pacino? Mm. Fuck it, yes. Yeah, it is weird, isn't it? Wrapped in that law world, you mm. know, which I think is an interesting premise, isn't it? And and I do like it. And I think Keanu Reeves, when he steps away from the things that he's brilliant at, the action, the kind of big blockbustery stuff, you know, into a more dramatic piece, you know, you, you're reminded that he is a great actor, you know, as, as much as he is action star. I like The Devil's Advocate, I'll be honest. It's quite a good movie. Join me. <laughs> uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt and Sarah Michelle Gellar come together in the movie I Know What You Did Last Summer. I know what I did last summer. Not enjoy this film. <laughs> That's right. the worst joke I've ever told. I, I, Take I, a minute, mate. <laughs> I will stand by this movie in the sense that I think there's enough of this film that was a love letter to the 80s slasher mm-hmm. to see that, you know, they're not... Every, every film in the 90s wasn't going to be Scream. Yeah. Scream was the one that pushed the genre forward. Whereas I know what you did last summer looked back with loving eyes and was like, yeah, there it is a bunch of teens hiding up a dirty secret. You know, the parents not knowing what happened and then it comes back around to bite them in the ass. So you know, that's the premise of Freddy Krueger, isn't it? The paying for the crimes of the parents. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It, I'm not saying it, I'm not saying it's watertight, James. No, I know. You know, but it, it has enough, you know, it has all the formulaic things that you expect in a slasher, the pretty people being taken off one by one till mm. there's the final girl. You know, and it, I, it's not a great movie, but it is one would, of the big hitters from the 90s. That'll do big. That'll do that sort of film. Well, yeah. You did all right. Now, now don't do a sequel. <laughs> In a Jamaican fucking island with Jack Black. I 
still know what you did. Yeah. But it still doesn't make any sense because it's the last summer. So it's, I still know what you did last two summers ago. Don't get me started. Yeah. The trilogy. I know what you do next summer. It's about time travel, James. It's Minority Report 2. When, when they remake it, it'll be called, I kind of remember what you done last year, but I can't remember when. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm not 100% so remind me. <laughs> and then the next one, what? <laughs> or, or it's just called when? <laughs> Question mark. Uh, we also had in this month of this year, Kiss the Girls, which is the Alex Cross uh, movie uh, starring Morgan Freeman. We had Seven Years in Tibet and we had Sean Penn, Jennifer Lopez, and a little ditty called U-Turn. Fucking brilliant. Yeah, Love I really like it. It's an all-star ensemble cast. I have had Nick Naughty, it had Joaquin Phoenix, Claire Danes, Billy Bob Thornton. It's got a lot of big hitters nowadays yeah. in a movie about a guy, a con man, you know, with a trunk full of cash who breaks down in the arsehole town that you do not want to break down in. And you've got the people that want to get out of the town. You know, you've got the people that have been there their whole life. So you've got the... It's just... It's one of those movies that... I don't know many people that have really seen it, but it's got a lot to give, actually. U-Turn's turn, you quite a good movie. I love you, Tim. Well, can I just say quickly, no, Kiss the Girls. <clears throat> I think that genuinely might be the most mentioned film on this podcast. We, every, we, we, we took a back well, to it. Like, 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 every, like, third episode, Kiss the Girls will get mentioned. Mm. Fucking, you fucking Morgan Freeman, you cheeky little scout. You're with Corey Ells. <laughs> and I'm pretty certain they made that movie before Along Came a Spider. Yeah, Along Came a Spider's the second one. But in the books, The Long Came Spider is the first. Oh. It's the first Alex Cross novel and Kiss the Girls is the second. Mm-hmm. Not that that matters. It doesn't matter. But Kiss the Girls, always worth mentioning that we've mentioned it again. Uh, in November, we had uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. So bad, not even I will defend it. We talked about movies in this decade pushing the boundaries of uh, visual effects. This wasn't one of them. No, it wasn't. It was, it was, it's a terrible film, which is somehow overloaded, overloaded with characters, poor writing, terrible editing, one of the worst edited films of all time. And just shit. They ruined a lot of great moments. What's really weird is this was written by the creator of the games, so you would have thought they would have more of a handle on things, but nothing compared to the epic <laughs> Mortal Kombat. It, no, it was a terrible film. It's a bad film. Avoid. As was the horror movie Jack Frost. We also had Alien Resurrection this Ooh. year as well, so Sigourney Weaver coming back take on aliens this time where you're rooting for the human traffickers. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? It is weird. It's like in that whole movie, it's, you know, you might as well just let them all die. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Because there's no hero in that. Ron Pillman and his, and his Looney Tune gang of um, scumbags. Human, human traffickers, scumbags. <laughs> just utter scumbags. Yeah. And, and then, uh, yeah. We're supposed to think that the armies are the bad guys because they like experiment on them or it's like, yeah, go with the humans. Yeah, 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 yeah. Them. And it's got a really weird Brad Dorff performance in this as well. Yeah. Yeah, where he's kind of like, let's move on. Yeah. Um, we had Flubber. So uh, I think um, Robin Williams flexing his comedy uh, genius in this movie, his comedy muscles, in a movie that was predominantly aimed at kids, but it's still really enjoyable it's for fun. adults alike. And again, famous. That poster was in cinemas months before that film came out. Robin Williams was a household name. It's a, it was always going to draw a box office crowd. We also had The Jackal, Bruce Willis, Jack Black again, Richard Gere. Um it's all right, the Jackal. The Jackal's fine for me. It's brilliant. But, you know, third third person, Richard Gere, come on down. Another right terrorist, another terrible, shitty accent. Um, absolutely awful. One of the worst accents I've ever heard. But Bruce Willis, this is interchangeable man, was pretty cool. I think he, sw- he was suave enough at the time to pull it off. Richard Gere's just anything. He's a bit weird. Richard Gere fan on no, the whole? No, not at all. I don't I, mind him. I don't. I, I think maybe pre-woman where he plays a man that was bang, was not 
not using a prostitute correctly. <laughs> it's like I could spend all my money but not get anything for it. No, um, I think that might have been it as well because I've never, like, officer and a gentleman, I'm not the target audience. I don't really mm. care. You did this really cool film about murder in China, which I've always forgotten. Uh, I never remember the name, but that was pretty cool. But other than that, Primeval. Yeah. Oh, it was, yeah. It was not good one. Movie then, 43. Move on. <laughs> um, Starship Troopers, which is excellent. It's a brilliant film. It's a fantastic film. Yeah. It's, it's over the top. It's OTT. <laughs> so someone listening is like, hold on, you just, just slagged off the jackal. No, you say Starship Troopers is brilliant. It's brilliant because it's crap. It's brilliant for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, exactly. It's making it brilliant. Yeah. Um, and Although no one's defending the jackal, mate. <laughs> no, no. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we had, I'll keep going back to it, James. We had them, we had them, uh, Joe Butler enthusiasts coming after us that time. You never know who's listening. Um, ending off November. So you've got your Mortal Kombat. You've got Jack Frost, a, ho- a Christmas horror movie coming out a month early. You've got Aliens. You've got Flubber. You've got the Jackal, Starship Tubers. Of course, you had to end that month off with the Bean movie. Ooh. So there's elements in this world, mate, that you'll look back in history and it will be the moment when that epic music plays, when the painting is revealed and it's not just a guy with a giant nose. <laughs> As you've been a kid, you're like, yeah, how did Mr. B do it? Brilliant film. I think it's brilliant. And the thing is, I haven't rewatched it recently. Why would I have to? Because mm. it's perfect. It's settled in the memory just what fine. Was it like Schaefer's mother or whatever it is? Yeah. Whistler's mother. Whistler's mother. That's Whistler's it. mother, he accidentally like removes the face and he's sent there because they hate Yanks and they don't want anyone else to go. It, just, is, a, it yeah. is a good movie. And again, the, the, the Brits, I think, had a home run with this. Rowan Atkinson is, is, a, is a great character actor with uh, Mr. Bean. You know, it is the ultimate disaster movie, you know, without any volcanoes, earthquakes, or tidal waves. It's yeah. Bean. It's bean. <laughs> bean is the disaster. Oh, it is. Um, well, even from the trailer as a kid, and you see him, he's just flipping people off. He's just sticking yeah. the middle finger up because he thinks that's how you say goodbye. Brilliant. One of the last of the slapstick comedies, yeah. I reckon. So, what it's a really hard. Um, <laughs> it's a really hard genre to to define is the uh, the slapstick comedy. It's also a great film to define how old you are getting because when you're a kid, you love the <laughs> sticking the fingers up at people, just swearing or the bit where he electrocutes the door and flies across the room. As an adult, I think the best scene is when he's got Whistler's painting and he's covered it with a tray and he's going down a small corridor and there's someone coming along with him and he just goes, oh, he looks at the wall, they both do and he just flips him. What was him. <laughs> yeah. Mate, hilarious. Yeah. Don't just, know why. Just sneezing, so funny. Just sneezing on the painting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it all coming from that and he's, <laughs> he's trying to like clean it and he uses the Terps cloth, you know. <laughs> fucking Bean, you want a disaster movie? More. It's good. Bean, um, Christmas hot, like specials, all that kind of stuff. Bean was brilliant, you know. Mm. Um, right, we're in the final month of the year and we've still got a lot to go, so I'm going to speed things up. Oh, yeah. In uh, in December then of 97, we had Kevin Costner in The Postman, a film set in 2013 where there are no highways, no dreams, uh, only scattered survivors in what was once the United States. It's an apocalyptic wasteland uh, movie, um, which I didn't really enjoy. Yeah, you were, say, you were 99% of the population. Well, it's the Kevin Costner thing. Waterworld, this, Dancing with Wolves. It's, you have a like Kevin Costner in, in his movies. Whereas I like my Kevin Costner, I suppose, more as Superman's dad yeah. and Robin Hood. Yeah, this one, too long. And he put a lot of his own money into mm. it and he fucking shunned them. Uh, we go back to the president this time. Instead of kicking terrorists out of planes, he's involved in murder scandals. They're, um, sorry, uh, 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 oh my God, I screwed all that up. He's not kicking off people uh, on planes. Sex scandal. Yeah, it's a sex scandal. This time with Robert De Niro and Hoffman in Wag the Dog. Brilliant film. Absolutely great comedy. Fantastic. They try to invent a war to keep pressure off. Dustin Hoffman doesn't really, he's not someone I talk about too much in this podcast, but he did such a good role as like this Hollywood narcissist who's completely off the scale. We haven't given a lot of love to Hoffman, really. We haven't really focused in on, on his career as much. Um, 
yeah, it's a good movie. I think so. Out of all the president movies we talked about, I think it still absolute power is my favourite. Yeah, yeah, from this year. Yeah, yeah. Air Force One's fun. It's fun, but you know, absolute power. Clint Eastwood and Gene Hackman, man, mm. man. Uh, De Niro shows up again in Jackie Brown. Lee Evans and Nathan Lane destroy a house in Mouse Hunt. Jack Nixon channels his inner bigot as he fosters a dog from his gay neighbour in the movie uh, As Good As It Gets. Screen 2 premieres just in time for Christmas. Pierce Brosnan takes on Jonathan Price in Tomorrow Never Dies. David Schwimmer and Chris Cooper team up as a pair of surgeons who invent the common boob job only for the film to be called Yep, Breast Men. We got the third Home Alone, a fifth Land Before Times. The X-File got its porn parody, The Sex Files. And this time an American werewolf visited Paris. And of course we had Titanic to end the year. So of all those movies, Jackie Brown... You know, in terms of Tarantino's catalogue, really underrated. It's the one that probably a lot of people <laughs> like the least. But I've gone back to this before, and I've said this a few times in this podcast. You talk to a film fanatic, you say, "What's your favourite Tarantino movie?" If they say, a lot of people say Jackie Brown, because then the person receiving that information goes, "Ooh," because it's the film everyone's seen as a film fan, but no one would pick it as their top. You know, over like Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, mm. and then so automatically you you go this person must know their film and I've missed something that that person knows and is Jackie Brown actually a really good movie? Yeah, it's a dick move. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it is a dick move, isn't it? Um, I don't mind Jackie Brown. I don't think it's Tarantino's best. Um, Lee Evans and Nathan Lane in Mouse Hunt. That's the sort of film you don't really get nowadays or if you do, it's just, it's so angled at children. Mm. Like this is the sort of film that was aimed at kids but had adult jokes. Because they, now, they knew the parents were going to go along exactly. with the kids to go watch these films. Whereas now they don't do that sort of thing. It's like Borrowers, that sort of film. If it's going to come out, it's going to come out straight for kids. The borrowers came out this year as well. I missed oh, this right. off the list. Yeah. Oh, sorry. It, it, again, those sort of films aimed at the kids mm. but had enough in the joke. Nowadays, nah, straight for the kids. No hanging about. As good as it gets, we, you know, the, the really, really good movie. Janikson taking home his Oscar for this. Um, brilliant. Yeah, good Greg Kinnear performance. Cooper um, Gooding Jr., Helen Hunt. It is, it is brilliant. Everything's fantastic in this film. It's great. And it's a film that you don't really like that you like, mm. but it does come around full circle. It does. You have to yeah. see it out to the end. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Scream 2, I, I didn't really hit the mark of the first Scream movie. No, but that's the problem. Scream changed the genre. It led to films like, I still know what you did last summer. Or I know what you did last <laughs> summer, whatever. Uh, Scream 2 was always going to... It's the problem, isn't it? You're on a slasher film, you got to have a sequel. I like the fact that they tried to blend it into the storyline. I like who the actual killers were. It made mm. sense to me. Because you always have the one that you know who it is. But it's the second one that's a surprise. You're like, oh. That is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, Timothy Oliphant. A young Timothy Oliphant. And then you've got that guy from Sliders who's never aged. <laughs> Fucking dick. <laughs> uh, we talked about the Tomorrow Never Dies. And again, I said it at the top and I say it now. I think that title is a wicked Bond title. I think in terms of Bond titles, that's maybe one of my top favourite. I think it's an underrated one. I love it. I like that Terry Hatch is in it. She was a bongo. She apparently been trying to be a bongo for years, but obviously they weren't making Bond films. The so premise is great. Like the oldest know, Bond girls, Yeah, so. media mongol kind of creating World War Three to sell media. Yeah, exactly. it's a good story. It's just lost in, you know, underground stealth submarines stealth and stealth, stealth ships. Ship. Yeah, and but I've got to say though, Michelle Yeoh, mate. You know, I love Michelle Yeoh. You stick Michelle Yeoh, mate. I'm fucking gonna watch that film. I'm gonna love it. You do say it every week. I do say it every week. Um, I'm gonna skip over David Schwimmer and Chris Cooper in yeah, uh, Breastman. Um. Home Alone 3, yeah, lost that. Land Before Time, five of them, Jesus. I, okay, so let's wrap it up. LA Confidential is your favourite movie. No, I easily. Couldn't even, you know, second time recording, I was, am I going to throw you a curveball? Nah, it's LA Confidential. It's the best film of the 90s. One of the best films ever made. Of course it's going to win this year, in my opinion. Obviously, you're allowed an opinion. I'm sorry about that. Calm down. I, I think I'm going to agree. I think LA Confidential is the best movie in terms of performance, direction, screenwriting, 
uh, you sounded in. I think it's, it's the it's the best movie. I think Fifth Element gets a look in. Yeah, as a movie that found its audience way later. Um, Copland, which could be Copland. I think for just the movie that Stallone should have got way more recognition yeah. for. In fact, he said he could put his career back ten years, so he had mm. to go back to doing horrible uh, direct to DVD action films. What are you trying to say about Over the Top? It was a bad film. <laughs> and uh, I, I think out of those as well, Men in Black, just from the yeah. ju- just the just the fun and the, the pairing of Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith in, in what was a brilliant action sci-fi movie but yeah I think you're right LA Confidential um, is, the, is the best movie LA Confidential yeah, but it was a great year absolutely phenomenal year there's, there's been barely any bad ones in there there's no been, there's no surprise film like getting even with dad I'm just saying there's no film out there that makes me want to go I've seen that film in ages yeah. I watch it but a very good year and of course overshadowed I suppose by uh, Titanic being the absolute juggernaut that it was that year uh, yeah as we've done this show for the last uh, you know couple of episodes where we've looked at uh, years in the 90s the nineties continue to impress. I think overshadowed by the eighties as we talk about, and now we look at great movies. You know, it's it's kind of like there was the eighties, then there was the nineties, and then there was the MCU. Sometimes <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. sometimes what it feels like. And actually, you look back at the nineties, and it did give us some greats. I think ninety nine is still the year. I think in terms of the episodes we've done recently, ninety nine is the one because that just seemed like every month there was gold at the cinema. But ninety seven is not to be uh, not to be sneered at. There were some great movies this year. Yeah, cracker. That's our show for this week. So if you like it, uh, don't forget to like, subscribe. You get a new episode each and every week and I promise it will come with sound. You'll be able to hear both of us. <laughs> oh, that'd be nice. And uh, yeah, if you like it, like I say, subscribe. You get a new episode each and every week. Next week, we are looking at the mediocre. <laughs> We're looking at the middle of the road movies, the ones that are just, yeah, all right. Okay. Yeah, it's not fine. great, not bad, just absolutely in the middle of the road. We're going to bring mm. a top 10 each to that uh, episode and see what we've come up with as our best uh, films. Yeah. And there is a reason for that, which I'm going to talk about next week. So if we don't see you later, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Goodbye.